I think a lot of times when we talk about uh, situations like the refugee crisis, when we see over and over again what's happening in the news constantly, more and more people dying in the waters in the Mediterranean, uh, refugees being detained in camps that just remind us too much of um, things not that long ago, and all of these horrific things that are happening to these dear people, um, it's easy to want to find um, an immediate solution or a romantic response and experience. And it's uh, such a good part of us that wants to have that response, that wants to say, I found an apple, and I saw someone who needed an apple, and then I shared the apple, and then it was really beautiful, and I wrote a blog post about it, and then I went home. And we have these deep, uh, and, and those are real experiences, and I don't mean to invalidate those, and I think that there are very good intentions behind that. The distinction of Questcope is that Kurt's been in that land and in the country for 35 years, and he's got real relationships built up. And... Years ago, when I first met him, he said to me that he was trying to build the kingdom here on earth. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like today as we get into the Beatitudes. And he told me this phrase that's been a, a little anchor for me as we've moved forward in, at Spark and just in my own personal Christian life. That if you build the kingdom, people will look for the king. And I believe that what Kurt and his colleagues are doing is that they are building the kingdom there. And their anticipation is that people will look for the king. And they are finding over and over again um, that there are people who have a deep interest in, in finding and seeking out who the king um, of this beautiful world could be and how we might build more of that kingdom here on earth. So to that end, let's start by having a little discussion about that tonight as we launch into our new series here at Spark on the Beatitudes. So join with me in prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come together to study your word and to open up a beautiful text of scripture, one known and familiar to many of us, um, even those not in the church. And we pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would open up our hearts, that you would give us ears that hear, that you would chisel out our ear holes where we have cement blocking in there, that you would open our hearts, that you would move our souls to depths of understanding, and that we would be available to you and to these beautiful words that you spoke 2,000 years ago and that we are still trying to understand today. So, Jesus, we ask right now that the presence and power of your Holy Spirit would be in this place and would be amongst us as it always is, but that we would be more aware of it right now as we seek to worship you through the study of your word. We ask this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are going to be in the Beatitudes, and for those of us who grew up in Sunday school or grew up in church, we have maybe a deep familiarity with this passage from Matthew chapter 5. There are echoes of the Beatitude also found in the book of Luke, but we're going to be focusing specifically in on the text from Matthew 5. And today, we're going to start just with an introduction to the Beatitudes and the first verse in there, which is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very words of God. Matthew chapter 5. The uh, sermon today is entitled Hashtag Blessed. And uh, we've called it Hashtag Blessed because for those of you who know, the Beatitudes start with a series of different statements. Blessed are the fill in the blank. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven shall be theirs. So you have all these kinds of blessed 
discussions at the beginning, but also because a lot of us who are on social media or online at all or just hanging out with friends, you will see that people will start to do this sort of hashtag blessed, right? And what does it typically follow? Like, I got this great job today. God is so good. Hashtag blessed. Yeah? Um, I was driving by and I had a near-miss accident. I, it happened two seconds after I left or just before I got there. Hashtag blessed. So the presumption is that all of the people that day that didn't get the job that they prayed for, not so blessed. And all of the people that did get involved in a car accident that day, that life just sort of didn't work the way they wanted it to, that laws of gravity um, and physics didn't work in their favor that day, not so blessed. That's what that word means. When we talk about it in our general vernacular, is that typically the way that we use it? My kids are so amazing, hashtag blessed, right? Nobody puts that, by the way, after their kid has had like the total meltdown on the floor and like lost it. Or um, to my hilarious delight, my cousin Ben this week was driving around his two kids and his youngest um, erped uh, tremendously in the back seat. And ever since I was a little kid, Ben has had a very sympathetic reflex. And uh, so he pulled over to the side of the road and was trying to clean up his kid, but then started also losing his own cookies in front of somebody's home. And that person called the police thinking he was drunk. And so then he had to take a breathalyzer test to prove that he was not driving his children drunk at six in the evening after he and his wife had switched cars and kids so she could have a night out. So his Facebook post on this has gone viral. 85,000 shares so far. So my little nephew, Declan, who looks so sad and pathetic, I'm like, you poor child, you will always be the vomit boy from now on, is a little photo of him. And then a series of text messages where he is trying to um, grab my cousin-in-law's attention and she's not responding in the timely manner that he would like. Um, so hilarious. And uh, nobody, at the end of that post, he didn't put hashtag blessed, right? At the end of that post, he was like, where's my wife? You owe me so big. I can't believe, and the cops are here, and they don't have a sense of humor, and now I'm taking a breathalyzer test, so, which he passed, which was good news. Um, so anyway, the, the hashtag blessed doesn't pop up at the end of that type of post, right? It pops up on the ones where that the two minutes during the day, the children are looking angelic. That one split second moment. So for me, it'll be like we have a 30 minute ballet class and Phoebe does the right thing for one 30 second period. And the rest of the time she's running like Class one, everybody knows her name because everyone's having to call her back to the class constantly. But I would post, let's say, the one picture where she looks good, right? And not the one where she's running around. And I'd say hashtag blessed. I don't say that, but that would be the type of thing you would do. Some people will say things like, oh, well, things are really bad, but I'm blessed anyway, right? So then they'll sort of throw that like, I didn't really mean to complain to God about this. I just wanted to say, I feel really blessed anyway. Like, I mean, at least, you know, and they'll try to almost diminish their own reasonable lament, which by the way, in your Bible, there's a whole book called Lamentation, so it's okay to do that. And they'll say things like, too blessed to be stressed. So we're too blessed to be stressed, right? We're too blessed by God, too in favor of God to be worried about anything. And this ends up becoming almost a spiritual competition between one another. I think a lot of times when we say that we're blessed, we want to say that we're grateful, what we really are trying to say is not that God has given us something that he hasn't given somebody else, but that we are grateful that we drove home today without a car accident. That we are grateful that we got this job. And maybe it should be hashtag thankful. I'm not exactly sure that we should hashtag any of this, but 
but I understand the intent behind it. So if you've written hashtag blessed and we're Facebook friends, I just want you to know I've believed the best about you, even though I think it's obnoxious. I'm just joking. Okay. What happens with a lot of this is that as American Christians, we often use our everyday experiences as spiritual weights and measures to determine God's favor upon us. We want to do this to determine his pleasure, to determine who and who is not blessed. So we'll say this person got this great thing or all these amazing things are happening for them. Or we'll claim promises or declare a promise or declare a blessing. And all of those spiritual weights and measures. Like if you see somebody really thriving and doing great, you're like, wow, they're so blessed by God. But if you see somebody that's really struggling and having a hard time, you're like, ooh. Now, we don't mean to do that, right? Like I'm sure if we stopped for a second, we would go, yeah, that's not biblical, Because Job was a righteous man who was doing everything right. And he got caught up in a really bad situation. And he never finds out the reason why at the end. He never knows that God had this side deal with the evil one. He just never finds that out. All he gets to learn is that God is God and he isn't. And we would say that there's a lot of other people in the Bible. We'd say, yes, they are blessed. But life maybe didn't turn out the way that they wanted. I don't know. Let's say all of the disciples who met untimely ends or exile. I don't know, let's say Jesus, right? So we know that it's not biblical. And when we say the name blessed, or we say that we are blessed, and as the Beatitudes start with each of this, we almost don't really know what to do with this word. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, I just don't think this is going to be spark unless we quote Princess Bride at least once a sermon. So we keep using this word, but I don't think it means what we think it means. And in fact, when we get to Matthew 5, the word in English, blessed, actually doesn't mean what we think it means. Where do we get this word beatitude? Well, beatitude comes from the Latin for beatus, and it's what translates the Greek word that is in our text, which is makarios. And makarios simply means happy or fortunate. It actually does not mean blessed. There is a word in Greek and in Hebrew for blessing. This is not that word. If you want to talk about how Abraham, God blessed Abraham, that's a different word. So in Hebrew, the word that sits behind makarios in the Septuagint would be ashrei. And this is a very, very, very common word in Hebrew. And it introduces proverbs. It introduces a lot of different psalms. For example, Psalm 1, which we'll get to in just a moment. So as we talk about makarios, the Greek word, or the Hebrew word behind it, ashrei, it simply means happy or fortunate. And if we didn't have a negative connotation for this in our English Christian language, we might even say lucky. I, I Sit tight with me for a second. This is what the word means. And by the way, if you're of the tribe of Asher or you've named your child Asher, it means the happy one. So makariisms or beatitudes or those Asherah sayings are to be distinguished from blessings. Where there's an effective pronouncement and a blessing in which God himself is deemed to be the agent of blessing. But that is not what is in the beatitudes. The beatitudes start with Asherah. And this is how it sounds in Psalm 1. Asherah, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1. Now, nowhere there is the word blessed, which is 
Baruch, in the Hebrew, we say that if we say the prayer before the bread or the wine, Baruch atah Adonai Elchenu, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, that word blessed is not the word used there in the Hebrew, it's ashrei, which is the same in your Septuagint, the Greek translation of your Old Testament, makarios, which is what Jesus uses, or at least the gospel writers write down the, his sayings in Greek. So we know that when we start into the Beatitudes, that the translation blessed might not be helping us a lot. The other problem that we have a lot of times as we approach the Beatitudes is that the word Beatitude, I have heard sermons like these are things that we should be. They are Beatitudes, right? We want to be these people. But then I read it, blessed are the poor in spirit, and I think I don't really want to be poor in spirit, do I? Like that, is that something I'm aiming for? Am I, am I trying to be mournful? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it also sounds weird if you say, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Does that sound like a little bit of dissonance? But we have oftentimes in Christianity um, and in my own education growing up, you know, Jesus' wonderful blessings from his Sermon on the Mount. And we focus on the characteristic of blessed are the blank. And that's a thing that we're trying to somehow grow up to be. So as we look at this, when we look at the word blessing, we want to say it's not really a blessing that we're talking about. There's a different word for that in the Hebrew and the Greek. And it's not really a beatitude that you want to be. In fact, as we look at happy and the poor in spirit, we're going to talk about a little bit of a shift. You see, the focus is all going to be about our context. as it usually is. When Matthew starts to write his gospel, he is retelling Israel's story. And he takes great pains to make sure that you get that. He's going to divide up his gospel into five parts, like the five books of Moses. And even the Sermon on the Mount will be divided into these sort of five sections. And as he starts to retell Israel's story, he's going to focus on the genealogy from Abraham just because we're all descendants from Abraham. He's going to tell the story of Jesus' birth. He's going to tell the story of a wicked king like Pharaoh who tries to kill all the Hebrew baby boys, but in this case it's Herod. How Jesus escapes to Egypt. How then it can say, as Matthew quotes, out of Egypt I have called my son, and he returns from Egypt. Then Jesus grows like Moses does. He's immersed in the Jordan. He goes through water. He goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights like Israel did after they came through the water. And then he goes up on a mountain and speaks. All of this Matthew is doing in the context to try to explain to us that Jesus is like unto Moses, that he is the prophet that we have been waiting for, according to Deuteronomy 18, like unto Moses, and that we should listen to him. So this context of standing up on the Sermon on the Mount, this beautiful, wonderful mount that Jesus is going to go up, and sit there and start to say things like, happy are the poor in spirit, immediately must first be understood in light of Israel's story. And it should also be understood according to the end of Matthew 4. So let's look at the last couple of verses of Matthew 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem and Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. And now when he saw those crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and he began to teach them. And he said, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the crowd. 
The crowd is diverse. The crowd has pagans in it. The crowd has paralyzed people in it, demon-possessed people, people who are ill and sick from every disease, Gentiles and Jews, Judeans and Galileans, Syrians, people from the Decapolis, so that'd be Romans, people deeply seated into paganism. All of them are there. He sees these crowds of people desperately coming and pushing towards him, and he sits down and he starts to teach. And the first part that I'd like to focus on is what he is letting us know that we are invited to, and that is his kingdom. The first instance of kingdom in your Bible is from Exodus chapter 15. When Israel comes out of Egypt and they're moving out of the desert, they hit the Red Sea and they start to sing this beautiful song about the amazing deliverance that God has given them from oppression, from prison in Egypt. He's pulling them through and they start to sing, the Lord is reigning forever and ever. And it's present tense. The Lord is reigning forever and ever. And that is the first instance that we have of kingdom, that Israel's been pulled from the rule and reign of Pharaoh and being moved through the waters and being ushered in to the kingdom of God in this new place, that God is now ruling and reigning, that his kingdom is present here. The Lord is reigning. And from Exodus 15, this phrase for kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, which is just a euphemism for Matthew to be careful not to say the word God because he's a good Jewish young man, starts to take the connotation and expression and understanding of this is what God's kingdom looks like, what it looks like when God rules and reigns. People are being set free. And we discover that the kingdom of God is a place where the supernatural is penetrating the natural. This is the kingdom. And the blessing or the happiness is not found in the condition, but in the kingdom. So these people are not happy because they are poor in spirit. They are happy because they have found out that though they are poor in spirit, the kingdom is also theirs. That is where the word happy comes in. Maybe we should flip it. Instead of focusing on that poor of spirit part, we should be focusing on the kingdom part. That the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That God's spirit is hovering over them. And that's why the poor in spirit are happy. And there's this also really one new, beautiful nuance that's available in, in the Hebrew. If the Hebrew is underlying the Greek here as Jesus is speaking... That perhaps it is not just that the kingdom is available to those who are poor in spirit, but that Jesus' kingdom is made up of those who are poor in spirit. That the identity, that what we are learning about from and about Jesus' kingdom as a result of these beatitudes, as a result of these happy are you, is that they are finding out that they are invited in to the citizenship of Jesus' kingdom. They are the people that are invited up to the mount to hear these words of God, these life-giving words of God. Just as Moses said at the end of Deuteronomy, I set before you today blessings and curses. Choose life, not death. That here today we are hearing that Jesus is setting before the crowd the opportunity to enter into the kingdom. They are not blessed or happy because they are poor in spirit. They are blessed and happy because the kingdom is also available to them. Remember the crowd. Remember the crowd, demon-possessed, ill, sick, every disease, cast out, marginalized, religious, non-religious. 
but people who had something in them that was so deeply desired to know this message of Jesus that they traveled near and far and pushed and crowded and carried the paralyzed with them in order to seek out his rule and his reign, which was available to them right then. And Jesus will say things like this all the time. If this person has been healed, then the kingdom of heaven is here. God is reigning right now. His rule and his reign is here right now, available to you. It is being set to right. It's here. And of course, it wouldn't be that Jesus would be a great Jewish rabbi here. Of course, it's, it's impossible for a great Jewish rabbi like Jesus to not also be quoting text. And he is doing such. Isaiah 61, he says this as his passage that he introduces himself to when he is in Luke 4, uh, in front of the synagogue. But he also says it in these quotes right here. Most scholars think this is part of what is echoed right behind Jesus' first two statements. That the spirit of the Lord of the God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the meek, poor, oppressed. That word there, the same word in the Greek Septuagint as Jesus' word for the poor here. To bind up, and we always say brokenhearted. In Hebrew, it is literally the shattered hearts. The hearts that have been crushed. To bind up shattered hearts. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Those who've been in prison. To release the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The day of the vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. Same phrasing of the next Beatitude that is coming. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Jesus, as he is pulling this verse into the air of at least those who are familiar with it as they sit upon that mount, all of the religious Jews, all of the disciples, Jesus himself, quoting this beautiful passage from Isaiah and declaring that fulfillment and that attainment of this passage right now as Jesus starts to speak. He starts to declare that the kingdom is now. It's right now. It's not something that they have to wait for in the future. It is happening in their midst. It is happening right there, right now for them. Uh, Reverend Bob Lindsay, who was one of the early leaders of Narquise Baptist Church in Jerusalem and spent a lifetime teaching and learning there. He wrote in his book, Jesus Rabbi Lord, this, that when Jesus says ashray, blessed or happy, he does not describe those who own his kingdom, but those who make up his kingdom. His kingdom, his movement is a now experience. Those in it are blessed and being a blessing now. They get comfort now. They get mercy now. They see God now. They get called God's children now. And they get deliverance and inherit the earth now. You see, the Beatitudes are not about something we should be. It's about an invitation to the kingdom that you were all already invited to and already disqualified to join. We are all disqualified and they're qualified. And so we start to learn through the Beatitudes more about who is in this kingdom and how God rules and reigns in it. The Beatitudes read correctly gives insights into what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like people coming from Syria. 
It looks like people coming from the Decapolis. It looks like people coming from Jerusalem, from Judea, from the Galilee, from the region across the Jordan. It looks like pagans. It looks like the religious. It looks like anyone who knows that they are in deep need of this kingdom, of this rule and reign of God in their lives. We are all coming. It looks like hope for those that are marginalized, who have been crushed, whose hearts have been shattered. For the kingdom of heaven is ours. We are invited into it, and God's spirit is hovering hovering over us. This isn't just about a story of people who a long time ago really needed Jesus, is it? Or is this also an invitation for each one of us in this room to say, I too have been heart shattered. I too have been lost. I too am poor in spirit. And I don't feel happy because I am poor in spirit. But I can feel that joy, that happiness in knowing that though I am poor in spirit, I am invited in. I get to be part of this kingdom. So what beatitudes might you write for those that you think are beyond God's blessing, not anywhere near God's kingdom? What beatitudes might you and I write for ourselves or write for the world? Because as Jesus sits and starts to teach, he's got such a diverse group in front of him that there are certainly people who are whispering and pointing at the others that are there. And then also realizing that they are also the other in that moment. What does it look like? Blessed are those who get pregnant too often. Blessed are those who don't get pregnant at all. Blessed are those who are addicted to alcohol, to porn, to gambling. Blessed are the fat. Blessed are those dying of cancer. Blessed are those who are unemployed. Blessed are the homeless. Blessed is the LGBT community. Blessed are those fleeing war. Blessed are the Muslims. Blessed are the atheists. Blessed are the trafficked. Blessed are the traffickers. Who is it that we think is beyond that blessing of God, beyond the opportunity to be invited into this kingdom? Now, another verse that Jesus is likely echoing here is that the sacrifice acceptable to God is that broken spirit, that poor spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So this is not to say that simply by being outside or outcasted that you are in. It is to say, though, that all are welcome. With that contrite heart, with that broken spirit, we too, in search of the kingdom, are invited in. And if we have trouble going to people who we consider unblessable and pronouncing the blessing available to them through the kingdom of Christ, then we have not yet understood the message of his kingdom. We have missed entirely the Beatitudes. Because these things are not describing what we should be. They are describing what is in his kingdom. That the people who are far away, who are other than us, who we are afraid of, are welcomed in. They are invited in. 
And what we discover in this beautiful moment is that the kingdom of God is not only the place where the supernatural is penetrating the natural. It is also found in the community of Jesus' followers where the Messiah and Lord is in charge. And a radical welcome is available to all of us who are poor in spirit. And that is also where the kingdom is found. And isn't that the supernatural breaking into the natural? That when we look upon the lives of people who are being disposed of and discarded in our society, who have been deeply and irreparably harmed, who are being held in detention centers in Greece, who are begging the world to save them, as we look at those that we would all set aside and say, I don't know if I can consider that person invited in. We need to determine what kingdom we want to be part of. Who do you want to rule and reign over you? Is it truly Jesus? And if it is, and if he is reigning, then we must believe that his invitation is available to everyone. And that should make us happy. We should find joy in the fact that the person that we most dislike at our school, the person that is the bully, the person that is sitting far off, the person that is the cheerleader, the person that is the goth, the person who is your boss or who is your office mate or your spouse, that the kingdom of God and God's promises and invitation are available to all of us. And when we start to extend that, when we start to live in the truth of that, that it is also true for me, that in my deep brokenness, I can know that I am loved and invited in, period. That God doesn't love you if you do these things, that God doesn't love you but you did that other thing, that God doesn't love you because, that you aren't invited in if, because that you are simply invited in because it is his kingdom. The response is up to us, but the invitation stands for everyone. All are called. All are welcomed. And Jesus starts to tell us about this beautiful kingdom that's made up of those who despair. For all the people 2,000 years ago and today who sit around and say, I must not be blessed by God because I don't have blank. I haven't had this yet, or this just happened to me, or this tragedy occurred. I must not be blessed by God because I have been, as Israel was experiencing, in exile, or I am in captivity with Rome, or my child was born blind. Who sinned, him or the parents? Who, I must not have that hashtag blessed yet thing going on. Instead, we discover that the Lord is reigning, that Jesus has this word of comfort and that joy is found. Happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And they are also what makes up the kingdom. You and me, it's good news for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for your radical welcome. Thank you, Jesus, for calling those of us who are poor in spirit, who are desperate for a touch from you, who are desperate for a little bit of hope. And Jesus, we 
come before you, all of us today, myself included, and we just say that we declare we are poor in spirit. We are in desperate need of you. And we seek your kingdom, and we are deeply thankful for your radical welcome. Thank you for building a kingdom made up of us. And thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for teaching us that there is joy to be found in being a citizen of your kingdom. On earth as it is in heaven. Amen.